Um, it is such a privilege to have Dennis in the house today. Dennis Rainier is a friend of the house. He's been here numerous times. Uh, he is an a apostolic, prophetic revivalist, travels the world, and uh, brings God to people. And uh, yesterday, uh, right before Dennis comes up, I just want to set it up this way. I'm going to raise the bar really high on Dennis. Um, so I have a friend. Uh, can you? I got something going on here. I have a friend that uh, travels the nation. And what he does is he goes to specific cities that God puts on his uh, radar. And he spends a few days in that city and literally walks uh, miles and miles and miles praying over that city. And he was called to San Diego. And uh, he walked from La Mesa to here. Praying. That's a long walk. And uh, he contacted me because he was looking for a leader in the, in the city that he could connect with. And, and I have a connection, uh, um, a friend in uh, Texas. And so we connected. I met him in a hotel room down in La Mesa. And he gave me a shepherd's staff that he gives a staff to every city. And it has uh, the, the Lord's name on it. And, and uh, it's just a really, it was a really profound time for he and I. We prayed over our city together. And uh, I haven't heard from him in months. And uh, he just clearly sees the Lord doing something unique in San Diego. In fact, David's tent came from England. If you guys know what David's tent is, it's, uh, uh, it's 72 hours of uh, un- uninterrupted prayer and praise. They had it at uh, the Del Mar Fairgrounds just recently. And uh, the founder was there, and we were in a meeting, and she said, you know, we started this in Britain, and it took months and months and months and months and months to get this thing off the ground in England. She said, it has been like that here in San Diego. She said, it was so easy because the churches are so unified, and the pastors are so willing, and you guys are so hungry for the presence of God. Now, that did not used to be the reputation of our city 30 years ago. We have worked long and hard, intercessors and leaders and and believers calling for God's glory into the earth. So, um, some, there's something special happening in our, in our city. And so yesterday, my friend, Calvin, called me. And he said, uh, John, do you have a guest speaker tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. I haven't heard from him in months. He said, God is going to do something really special tomorrow. And he prophesied a few things. And so, uh, this is a divine assignment for Dennis to be here today. And I'm asking you to be wide open to hear the voice in the voice. Hear God's voice in Dennis's voice. And let's receive Dennis Rainier this morning. Come on, Dennis. Let's do this. Thank you, my friend. It's great to have you here. Hey, man. God bless you. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Thank you. Awesome to be with you guys this morning. How you doing? Everybody good? Praise the Lord. My name is Dennis Rainier. I'm from Bozeman, Montana. I have a beautiful wife named Tammy. Uh, pastors of church. We started in 1999. I got four daughters. So you should ask everybody to keep me in prayer. Amen. I'm the only man in our house. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, you know, a couple of things. We, um, we have a ministry that's uh, called Loft. It's our local ministry. I have a ministry called Revival Cry. Myself and others that we've trained up over the years. That go and preach uh, meetings to stir the kingdom and, and see an awakening in the earth. Amen. And then we also have a, a network of about 50 churches around the nation called Ark Network. And last of all, we have a ministry um, that is for rescuing children at risk. 
and young girls out of the sex slave trafficking industry. And so we've been doing that since about 2002, 2003 now. Awesome. Uh, matter of fact, I just did a conference called John 151 in New Jersey. Um, we raised $76,000 for girls um, to rescue them out of sex trafficking. Amen. Just in one meeting. And so literally... Um, in India, that will impact over 200,000 girls. That's an amazing amount of girls to be able to impact. Amen. We've had a big project that we've been working on in the Philippines where we've been um, trying to um, create. We have property over there, and we have um, several structures, and we have girls um, there that we buy back um, um, for the kingdom of God. Um, we've already rescued 180 girls. There's a place, there's room for 20 girls there. And so we believe in being practical as well as being spiritual. Uh, these girls, they take them as young as seven, eight years old. They put them in cages. I don't know if you know this, but the United States is like its number one now for sex trafficking. Um, and so this is a big deal for us to care about and to work together. Um, you know, John was talking about there's a famous uh, verse in the Bible. It wasn't Bill Johnson that said it first. It was Jesus. Amen. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The words pray actually mean uh, that God would change your heart. And not only would he change your heart, he would make you a solution for the things he changed your heart with. Amen. Yeah. So you could say, is God going to change San Diego or are you going to change San Diego? The answer is yes. Amen. Right. Is God in you? Amen. So, uh, you know, anyways, um, so we're excited about what God is doing. If you're interested, there's some um, information at our back table about how to help with sex trafficking and rescuing kids that way. Um, also, I have a book back there. It's called Shaking Heaven and Earth. Uh, if you like anything I say today, you'll love what's in this book about hearing God for yourself and, and resting in what God has already done for you, as well as the importance of you hearing the voice of God for yourself. Amen? And so I'm not going to try to throw this at somebody because I'm afraid I'll decapitate someone, and then I'd have to pray harder. Amen? And so, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Um, I also have this uh, uh, USB. Um, this has over 66 um, different uh, teachings on it. It's an entire school on prophecy, your identity, and healing in Christ Jesus. Amen. This used to be about $750 worth of stuff when we had to package new CDs. CDs are kind of gone now um, for the most part. And um, now people are doing things by MP3 so you can place it in your car, your computer. Uh, but um, this is uh, $99 with almost $750 worth of stuff. So if you're interested in that, uh, my cousin Rich is here. Um, and, and so he'll help you at the back table. Amen. All right, done with all my infomercials, all right? So, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Yes, we, we thank you, Lord God, that you're doing something awesome in the earth right now, today, in your people. And so, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that you would just begin, Lord God, to, to wash away all of the residue of past seasons, Lord God, and things that would um, keep us in a place of thinking that things are just as usual. But you would open up our eyes to see, Lord God, uh, the, the uniqueness and the specialness of what it is that you're doing in and through us today. Open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear in the name of Jesus. And we all said amen. amen. Hallelujah. I just want to pray. I just uh, uh, play. Um, I, I had a, a testimony that was just given uh, of a guy that got healed again last week. And I was just going to play that for you. Because sometimes when I say him myself, I think people think I'm embellishing. And, and so um, I'm going to play this. You prayed for my wife and I at the very end of the service. I asked you to stop packing up, and then you prayed for my wife, Rosemary, and myself. You specifically prayed for my left shoulder, and you prayed for my wife, and the 
rotor cuff damage, and that's exactly what was damaged. I believe at least one, maybe two tendons were torn. Anyway, uh, my shoulder's healed. I, uh, what is it, like 3 o'clock now in the afternoon, and when I walked out of church with the wife, I felt this feeling in my shoulder and no pain and just a, I never felt it before, and it took up pretty much the whole top of my shoulder and around the, the ball of the shoulder. It lasted about a half an hour, um, and then it went away. And we had some errands to run. I didn't think twice about it, so I got back home again. I said, Rosemary, my shoulder is healed. I said, I have no pain. I called Matt Rumet. He gave me your number. Matt is our pastor. So I just thought it'd be really cool to let you know that. And I'm holding on to uh, this healing. So there you go. I mean, I should be in pain by this time in the middle of the day. And I am not. Uh, praise the Lord. I just thought you would want to uh, rejoice in that a little bit. Amen. God's good. Amen. And so, you know, God gave me a word of knowledge at a point that it was a shoulder rotator cuff. He hadn't told me that. And so then, um, you know, God healed him. Amen. Um, you know, my point uh, today really is just to get you to understand how important it is for you to hear the voice of God for yourself and not just to have other leaders hearing the voice of God for themselves. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29, um, God says this about his word. He says, is not my word like fire that it consumes every single thing that cannot endure the test? Um, what that's meaning is that God himself speaking, not just the Bible, but God himself speaking to you directly. Like it literally is like fire and it will consume every single thing that is not of God. Every single thing that cannot endure the test of what is and what is not of God. And then he says this, he says, is it not, um, is it not like a hammer? talking about his word again, right? Is it not like a hammer that will literally break into pieces the rock of the most stubborn resistance? Anybody, anybody had any stubborn resistance in their lives? Amen. A few honest people, the rest of you are lying. Okay. All right. Well, praise the Lord. There are stubborn resistances in our lives. Amen. Sometimes where it feels like we keep banging up against the same thing over and over again. And God says, is it not like my word when I speak to you? When I myself communicate to you so that you know this to me, it's not that you just believe something else somebody else said, but God himself actually speaks to you. He says, he will cause those, that thing that is the most stubborn resistance to be broken in your life into pieces. Thank you, Lord. And it will have to submit to what it is that God's doing in your life. Amen. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, there's this whole passage that's about spiritual warfare. And, you know, what I found over the years is there's a lot of people uh, that, that tend to get caught up into wanting to get in a fight with the devil. As a matter of fact, I wrote in my book, if you spend all your life trying to engage the enemy to be in spiritual warfare, you're out of God's will. And the reason why I wrote that is because, you know, you don't have to try to be in a place of warfare. It just is. It's all the time, all the way around you. You don't have to pick a fight with the enemy. He's already trying to pick a fight with you. Amen? 
And you know, the, pa- the part of this passage that's really important for us to stay focused on is that we're supposed to be keeping our eyes on God and not on the enemy. But a lot of times what happens is the enemy tries to suck us into a fight to get our eyes off of God and on what it is that he's trying to do. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, it really just mentions one thing in terms of what the enemy is doing. It says, to be aware of the wiles of the enemy, right? What's that mean? I mean, you're supposed to have an awareness that the enemy is trying to trick you. That's what that word wiles means. It means trickery, that he's trying to trick you. What's he trying to trick you to do? He's trying to trick you into getting into a fight that you're not supposed to fight. He's trying to trick you into getting into drama that you're not supposed to in terms of relationships. He's trying to trick you into believing your circumstances, into your situations, into sickness, into uh, poverty issues, that you would believe that rather than believe what God is doing. So, you know, recently I was um, um, in Hawaii suffering for Jesus. And, you know, somebody <laughs> has to do it, so I volunteered. And so I'm, you know, and this was actually not like a vacation. I was not um, down on the beach and in a resort. I was up on this, um, in this two-bedroom apartment that this widow allows uh, like traveling ministers like myself to stay in. And so uh, there's no AC. It's in a rough area of Hawaii called Kalihi. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm up there. I'm not trying to complain, but I'm trying to set the tone for so you'll get why the reason why I'm complaining. Amen? I, I know you don't feel so too sorry for me that I'm complaining about being in Hawaii. So anyways, um, I'm there and this widow comes to my meeting. I'm going to a, a ministry called Ignite Fire uh, that night. And she invites invites this large Samoan lady uh, to my meeting uh, across the street. I was living across the street. And um, so we're in the meeting, and some lady has one of those banners, you know, that you kind of worship with and stuff. And so she's kind of doing her thing. And somehow she gets out of control a little bit, and she hits somebody in the front row. And, 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 and you know, the lady that got hit, she wasn't offended. You know, she was over it. But <clears throat> this Samoan lady, she's about 6'2", about 350 pounds, and she's sitting in, like, the back row. But she gets offended for this lady um, that got hit with the banner. And so after a little while, somebody, you know, kind of consoles her a little bit and tries to get her to calm down. And so she calms down, and, and then just a few minutes later, somebody takes one of those shofar horns, and they blow it right in her ear, and she just about comes undone, right? And so after a little bit more, they get her calmed down again, and I didn't realize it. Like, I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I believe in praying the Spirit, and, and so I, I'm praying, um, and I think I'm praying underneath the music. Uh, but I didn't realize, um, I'm kind of tone deaf, so sometimes I'm louder um, than I think I am. So if I'm yelling at you right now, I don't know it. It's not because I'm mad at it, amen. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and I think I'm praying underneath the music. All of a sudden, this lady gets offended, or, or it looks like she's offended, and she gets up and she leaves the meeting. I had no idea why. Um, I didn't know it was me at that particular point. Uh, but we're meeting in this conference room of a golf course. So she goes upstairs to what is a local bar and has a Budweiser while I preach the gospel. So anyways, I, so I continue to go because I have nothing else. That, uh, I can't really, I'm supposed to get up and preach. And so, um, at, you know, I get up and I preach the message and I go home. She had bought my book that night. The next day I felt, found it torn up. Um, on the porch outside my room. But at 10, at 10 to 6, 
um, in the morning, um, you know, which I believe is an ungodly hour. I don't think people should get up at that time. I'm not even sure Jesus really got up at that time. No, I'm just teasing. Um, but, uh, but, you know, uh, so, so I hear this lady screaming in the middle of the street as 10 to 6, and she's yelling, Dennis! Dennis! For the whole neighborhood to hear, right? Dennis! And all of a sudden she goes, na, 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 na. She goes, that's not God. That's the devil. And that's when I figured out that she had heard me praying. And I, and I, and I didn't know it. And then she starts yelling these um, uh, curse words. And she's like, get off of my effing land. And, and then she goes on and on. And so I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, you're not supposed to react. Uh, uh, this is a distraction. And so I'm sitting in my, I'm sitting in my um, room and I'm not reacting. And but every hour on the hour, this lady would come out and start yelling in the middle of the street, Dennis! You know, and it became hard not to react to. But I was trying to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit had said. Finally, about 4.30 in the afternoon, I am supposed to uh, uh, go preach at another meeting called Ignite Hawaii. And so I know I have to go down there, and I'm thinking this woman's going to be down there. So I walk down these concrete stairs. I get to the bottom. I peek out because I know this woman's probably going to be out there waiting for me. And sure enough, she's sitting right there in the front yard. And so I try to make it to my car, but she runs out into the street and she starts yelling with her hands raised up. She's like, Howley devil, Howley devil, Howley devil. And I, and I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but if you've ever been to Hawaii, they call Caucasian people like myself, um, um, Howley's. Um, and they say it's not derogatory, but when they're calling you a Hallie, it feels derogatory, okay? But I, I knew that if Hallie was not derogatory, um, the devil was, right? So I knew she wasn't trying to be nice to me. And so, you know, I, so I try to raise up my hand to her and I go, hey, Margaret, God bless you. Have a great day. And I thought I was diffusing the situation, but I seemed to make it worse by doing that. So I get into my car. I drive to the meeting. It was an awesome time. Nobody called me a devil all night long. Uh, it was very peaceful. I come back um, and I'd forgotten all about this lady. I get out of my car and all of a sudden I see this shadow on the ground and I look up and this lady's coming at me and she's trying to throw something at me. I didn't know what it was that she was trying to throw at me so I just turned tried to get back in the car um, opened up the door looked back around she's picking up whatever it was that she had thrown at me to pick up off the ground and throw it at me again so I end up driving down to the McDonald's um, and calling the police the police come um, they try to deal with her she's shoving them and she is um, uh, cursing at them and so they get her calmed down finally after a little bit of time and they get her to go in her house they come over and they tell me you know what we don't think she's going to come out of the house. Uh, uh, you know, we think we got her where she's going to stay in there for the night. We don't think she can make it up the stairs where you're living. I'm not so sure that I believe them. You know, you know, they say she's mentally ill, but I'm like, yeah, she's got some visitors on board too, if you know what I mean. And, and so I have to, I have to lock up all of my uh, two bedroom apartment and it's hot and humid because this was in August. And so like, like, you know, uh, you know, I'm not complaining, but there's no AC in there. So so I am sweating profusely like all night long. Finally, about 4.30 in the morning or so, I drift off and finally find myself fall asleep. But about 10 to 6, my alarm clock is out in the middle of the street yelling at me, Dennis! Dennis! And she, then I'm, not, I'm not saying anything to her. And all of a sudden she says, we're going to fight. And I'm thinking like, I don't want to fight. You know? I don't, one, I don't want to have to, you know, 
push a woman, hit a woman, or have to defend myself some kind of a way. Second of all, I'm the only Howley in the area, so I'm going to get jumped if they see me, like, uh, you know, trying to uh, fight with this woman. And last of all, she's bigger than me. She's going to beat me up, right? And so I'm trying to find my way of escape, and all of a sudden she says, Dennis! She goes, I'm coming up! I'm like, oh, no. And so, you know, the pressure's on, so I call the cops again. The cops come, and, and by the time she got to the top of the stairs, she had this big old rock in her hand. She had already told the cops that she felt like it was her job to get rid of me. And, and I mean, literally, like, get rid of me. Amen? You know, but here, here's the point of, of my story, is the enemy really wants to get you focused on what he's doing in order to get you distracted. Right. Um, from what it is that God has for you to do in terms of your assignment and keeping your eyes not on God but on Him. Later this woman, she actually ends up getting delivered. She lives with the woman uh, that, um, that was uh, let me stay in her apartment. And God uses, He uses conflict. He uses it, uh, um, you know, if you will respond to it in the correct way. Conflict is actually an opportunity for you. And conflict is oftentimes what we start often labeling as as being spiritual warfare. Matter of fact, I came to San Diego actually one time and did a John 151 conference. And this was when there was less unity than what you were talking about today, John. And so I would meet with pastors. I would shake hands with them. And I would, I would let them know um, that we wanted to do something bigger for the area and stuff like that. And see if they wanted to participate. And if we could work together to build unity in the city. And I remember I met this one guy one time. I stuck out my hand, shook his hand. I was having coffee with him. He grabbed my hand as hard as he could. And he would not let go of it. He looks me right in the eye. He goes, you'll never do anything in this city unless I say you will. I'm saying, oh, well, it's nice to meet you too. You know, and, and so, you know, back in my old unredeemed days, I would have clocked him upside the head in the name of Jesus. And, you know, but I got saved, grew a little bit. I've learned not to punch pastors and, and that, you know, so I've grown, I've matured, right? And, you know, well, second of all, if I, if I wasn't going to physically hit someone, then none, the next thing you want to do is get a little bit mouthy, right? Like, who the heck do you think you are talking to me that way, right? But somehow, you know, I'd grown to the place where, you know, I didn't respond that way. And the words that came out of my mouth even shot to me. I said, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And all of a sudden, you know, he starts telling me about himself. And it turns out that I used to house sit with his brother. I did ministry together with his brother. I used to be his nephew's youth pastor. All of a sudden, this guy is backtracking, right? Like, what happened if I just react? Man, that, you know, the guy would have been running around telling everybody what a jerk I am. And, you know, other people would maybe be more likely to believe it because, you know, they don't know me, but they might know him. And, and, and you know, but, you know, how we respond has to do with, like, are we, gonna, are we actually going to get promoted? Are we going to actually get to experience the promises of God in our life? And much of it has to do, like, with how we respond. And sometimes how we respond causes there to be a delay in what God wants to release now in our lives. And we can't figure out why we got to wait to experience something. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes it has to do with how we responded to a situation or a circumstance. Now in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us in terms of how do we handle spiritual warfare. Put on the belt of truth. Do you know that that word truth there is the word verity, which means reality. And what God is saying is you need to have a revelation of His reality. You need to have a revelation of His perspective. You need not to see things just from your perspective. You need to see things 
from his perspective. Amen? Because if you see them from only your perspective, then the enemy gets you reacting to only what you see in front of you. And God's trying to get your eyes off of that circumstance and get your eyes onto him and get your eyes onto his reality because he has something that he is doing in the midst of the conflict. He has something that he's doing in the midst of the circumstance and situation. And he has a promise that he is trying to release in your life. And he's trying to get you to come into agreement with it. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, I think about that. That has a lot to do with your identity. You know, I've trained a lot of people over the years now in terms of in the prophetic and in healing and all kinds of... And back when I was younger, I used to think, you know, I was just happy that people were, were prophesying. I was just happy that people were laying hands on the sick and seeing them get healed. But then, you know, what I started to find out is that if you don't know who you are in Christ, they, that the enemy does not go after your gifts. He goes after you. And if he can take you out, he'll shut down your gifts. And so, you know, like, here's, what, here's a piece of advice I would give to any believer. And that is that if you don't know who you are, you probably shouldn't even leave your house. You should figure out who you are in Christ. I think there's some foundational revelations that we need in our life. And one of them is to know who we are in Christ Jesus. Because the enemy is going to come after you. He is going to accuse you if you don't know who you are. And you have to know who God says that you are, right? When God speaks to you for yourself, not just that a prophet came in and told you that you're, you know, somebody, a son of God. But when God himself says, you know what, I'm your father and you are a son and you're a daughter and you're mine and everything that I gave, everything that I have is yours and I gave to you in my son Jesus Christ. When you start to get this thing to knowing that God says that you're not who you used to be but you've actually been made brand new. It makes it so you can stand and you can weather the storm because you know who you are and who God made you to be. And then he says things like shod your feet with the gospel of peace. I mean you're supposed to have a revelation of the peace of God that Jesus himself is peace. It says, take up the shield of faith. Now, I, I believe that most people in the body of Christ, or not most, but a lot, have a wrong idea of what faith is. I'm convinced of it. Because I hear people say all the time, well, I'm believing in faith that God's going to give me a job. And then you would ask them, did God say he's going to give you a job? No, that's not faith. That's not what the Bible calls faith. That's what the Bible calls hope. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That word is the word raiment. It used to be taught often. But that meant as if the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit was speaking to you personally for yourself. It wasn't speaking about the Bible. I'm a big scripture guy. I'm using a lot of scripture. But I'm telling you that the Bible itself tells you that you're supposed to hear God himself speak to you. Amen? And that's what's right. So sometimes people have a value for the Bible, but they don't have a value for what the Bible actually says. And we worship that over the God of the Bible. Amen? And the Bible's trying to get us to connect with God personally. And there's value. You have to have one oftentimes to have the other. But that's why the Bible says things like this. It says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Why would he say that? See, I believe that when you read Romans uh, 10, 17, this is what it's saying. It says, it says that, that faith comes from the kind of relationship or intimacy that you have with God where you have learned to hear him communicate to you for yourself. Because God speaks to us all differently. 
It doesn't mean that he speaks to you the same way that he speaks to me. But he wants to communicate to you. That's why the Bible says things like, only the Holy Spirit can teach you. Because it's not saying that I can't stand on a platform and try to teach you. It's saying though that only the Holy Spirit can actually teach you how to hear from God himself. How does God actually speak to you? How does he actually communicate to you for yourself? So when you read something like, it's impossible to please God without faith. The Bible is saying, it's impossible for you to please me without the kind of relationship where you've learned to hear me communicate to you. Like, do you know that the Bible doesn't say it's impossible to please me unless you do everything perfect? It's the only thing that God says about. Because he's not really concerned just about what you do. He's concerned about who you are. And he's concerned about whether you actually have the kind of relationship where he can actually begin to change you from the inside out. Amen. That he can connect with you. He, he, can, he actually can, is more concerned about that than he is about anything else. And then finally he says, so he says, take the shield of faith. Take the shield where you've heard God speak to you for yourself because of the kind of relationship that you have so that it will quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Some say missiles, depending on your translation. And it's actually talking about the accusations that the enemy would bring, the false reports, the different people, the circumstances, the situations that all represents the darts of the enemy and the attacks of the enemy. But the Bible says that the one thing that would cause you to be able to overcome would be what God speaks to you for yourself. Like I do a lot of prophetic ministry and doing a lot of prophetic ministry, I found that a lot of people just want another word. They don't want to go figure out how to hear God from themselves. But, you know, it's a lot better if you can hear the voice of God for yourself. I was in uh, New Jersey and I'm preaching and a woman, I gave her a prophetic word and I remember the next day she came back with all of her friends and she came over to my book table and she goes, will you pray for all my friends? And so I think there was like seven or eight of them and I prayed for each one of them and prophesied over each one of them and then all of a sudden I noticed that she's standing there and she'd gotten in line again. And, and she's like, will you give me another prophetic word? And I had to tell her, I said, I believe that God doesn't want me to give you another prophetic word. God wants you to go and learn to hear God for yourself. You know, because if you don't learn to hear him for yourself, you won't have confidence. You won't have courage. You won't be able to become who you're supposed to become. God doesn't just, I mean, prophetic words are awesome. They encourage you. They comfort you. Uh, they, they, they end up, um, you know, causing you to be exhorted into your purposes and what you're supposed to do. But you can have that full time, 24-7. It doesn't just have to be when there's somebody that comes in. Amen? And so he says, not only take the shield of faith, but then what does he say? He takes, he says, put on the helmet of salvation, right? That's talking about your, your mind and how you think, Right? And he's, notice that these things are not just things that you know my knowledge, but they're things that are supposed to be revelation from the perspective of his reality. But the helmet of salvation, what do you say? The helmet of sozo. The helmet that I've already been saved. The helmet that I've already been healed. The helmet that I've already been provided for. The helmet that I've already been delivered. The helmet that I have already been given all of this in Christ Jesus. See, it's about inheritance. And are you going based on what you think? See, one of the biggest problems in the church is a, is a, is a, a spirit of lack. Mm -hmm. 
thinking that somehow that everything's going to be taken from us and we just got to hold on to it because we have no revelation that every single thing that the Father has has already been given to us. And even if we lost everything from a natural perspective, there is something in us that is able to create and to release. And it really is the provision of God that can replace everything that could be, ever be taken from us. And when we have that kind of a revelation, it causes things to change. Man, I used to, I grew up in a home where, you know, um, my dad spent more money on tequila than he did on, on, on food. And so there was a lack of food oftentimes in the house. And so I remember when I first got married, I'd be like looking in the cupboards. And, and if there wasn't a lot of stuff, I wanted to go and I wanted to stock up because I just wanted to make sure that there was something there. It was a poverty kind of a mentality. Somewhere along the line, though, I learned to let go. And the revelation of God. And oftentimes now I'm just like, you know what? Things are going to work out. And you know what I found? Most things work out better than I thought that they would by not worrying and trusting in Him. But the enemy wants to get you caught up into worrying. He wants to get you caught up in anxiety. He wants to get you caught up in people's drama. So he says, take the helmet of salvation and see what it is that I have already given to you rather than seeing what the enemy is trying to take from you. Amen? And last of all, he says, take the, the Word of God which is the sword of the Spirit. Again, it's talking about the rhema word as if God Himself, the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit, all being one, would speak to you. Now some people, they think like, well, you know, God, He only speaks to special people. Just prophets or teachers or apostles or pastors. It's like, the Bible says, He says, my sheep know my voice. That's good. You don't have to be anything that other people see as having a big title or a big name or doing anything. God says, if you are just mine, you have the capacity inside of you already to hear my voice. Amen? That's you. That's every person in this place. Even if you had a difficulty, you know, uh, um, time of being able to hear his voice, he still wants to speak to you. Amen? Hmm. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4 for a moment. I'm going to read a few scriptures for you. There's a passage of scripture here that talks about entering his rest. And here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying if you don't learn to enter his rest, you can't experience his promises. If you don't enter his rest, you can't experience experience his promises. See, I'm contrasting that to spiritual warfare for the purpose of saying spiritual warfare is to try to get us caught up into fighting a fight we're not supposed to fight in rather than learning to rest in who God is. Learning to come into that place of rest. Amen? So in Hebrews chapter, you know, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. I'm going to read it to you, but it says, For indeed we have the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us just as truly as the Israelites of old did when they heard the good news of deliverance from bondage and when it came to them. Now, this is, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, that all of this stuff was written down for our benefit so that you and I could learn from their mistakes or learn from their lives so that we could now not have to make the same mistakes that they made. Amen? And so this is practical for you and I, but here's here's what it says though. It says, it says, But the message that they heard 
did not benefit them. The message that they heard did not benefit them. Now, that's a big deal. Like I, I preached literally like 180 meetings last year. I could ask myself, like, how many messages have I preached that didn't benefit anybody? But this passage of Scripture is taking it a little bit further. And it's asking us to take some responsibility to messages that are being preached. Think about today. How many messages have you heard? Like just maybe in the last year, the last six months. I mean, you can listen to messages on YouTube. You can listen to messages on Facebook. You can stream live from different ministries. You can listen to it on TV, the radio. You hear them live. We're bombarded with messages. But the real question isn't like, how many messages have you heard? And who spoke the message? The question is, did they benefit you? And you might be wondering, well, why did not the message benefit the Israelites before? Well, I'm glad you asked. And it says, because the message was not mixed with faith. The message did not benefit them because they never learn to take the message that they heard with their natural ears and bring it to a place of relationship with God himself to get revelation or communication from him so that it could become their own. That it wasn't somebody else's message, but it now became their own message. And it came from God himself. And here's what he says. He goes, with the leaning of the entire personality of God, in absolute trust and confidence is power, wisdom and goodness by those who heard it. And neither were they united together with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. Now this is a, a message that many people have heard if you've been in church for very long about Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says that Joshua and Caleb, that they heard from God. And God told them that they were going to go into the promised land and take it because it was already theirs. He speaks to them in a past tense kind of a form and says, it's already yours. Amen? Now this is how God speaks and how God has always spoken to his people. He spoke to Joshua. He said, you know what? Go in and take Jericho, the city of Jericho, for I have already given it to you. He says, see I have already given it to you and all of the inhabitants within and everything within the city. And you know what scholars say? Scholars say that the place that Joshua was standing when, he, when God commanded him to see, it was impossible to see in the natural. It was too far away for him to see the city. And even if he could see the city, it was impossible for him to see everything that was inside the walls of the city. Now God says that to you and I. He says, look at what I've already given you. See what I've already given you. I've already saved you. I've already given you eternal life. I've already given you healing. I've already given you provision. I've already... See, here's the thing the Bible says. If you would sow by the Spirit, meaning that you would hear from the Spirit of God, it says that you would reap, which is the word manifest. You would manifest eternal life, which is the word sozo. What the Bible is saying is when you hear God speak for yourself, it would cause all that God has already given to you to manifest externally so that you could experience it for yourself. 
In the same way that the Israelites were supposed to experience the promised land, God says that if you would believe what it is that he says, if you would hear it for yourself and you would make it your own, that you would be able to experience the promises of God. How many want to experience the promises of God? The only reason why I'm speaking a message like this, you know, is not, is not because I'm trying to provoke you. It's because I actually want to see you experience the promises of God. I had a lady one time, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and she said, you know, everything you spoke, it irritated me. She said, it really made me mad. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I was just speaking, you know, what I felt like God put on my heart for the day. It wasn't to you in particular. She goes, well, what I mean by that is like, she goes, I pray every day. She goes, I pray in tongues for one hour, and then I pray to God, you know, and I'm praying to him all day long, and I still feel like I don't ever hear from God. And, and God started to give me some discernment in the moment, and, I, and, I, and two things came to me. And one of them, I said, you know what? I think you're trying too hard. The number one thing that I find for most Christians that they're struggling with is they're actually trying too hard. And they move out of this place of resting in God and it's this subtle line of now taking over. I mean, I've done it. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning anybody. Like, it's just real easy for our eyes to get off of what God is doing. That's what the enemy is constantly doing. He's constantly trying to get your eyes off of it so that you will just, without even knowing it, hit the default button. Go back to trusting yourself. Even though Hebrews chapter 6 says that's the way of life that we repented from. And now we turn to faith, to this relationship with God where we hear his voice. But it's so subtle and so easy to get into this place. I said, I think you're trying too hard. You know, most people, they, they can't prophesy. It's usually because they're worried about what everybody else thinks about them. And it gets them into thinking, well, if I can't be good enough and I can't be perfect enough, I can't enter into this. You know, with healing, oftentimes, you know, the thing that will, will cause the biggest obstacle is when we try to do it. Sometimes I'll hear people, even with their loved ones, and they'll say, you know what? Um, you know, not on my watch, devil. And if it's in the right heart, that could be great. But if it's in the place where we start to take over, where we think somehow it comes from us and the source is our own strength, we now enter our flesh. And sometimes we don't get to experience the very things that God has already promised to us. Amen? You know what I'm trying to say. Amen? Are you getting what I'm trying to say here? God wants us to rest in him and rest in what he said. See, when the Bible talks about entering his promises, what he's saying is, or entering his rest so you can experience his promises. What he is saying is, how do you hear from God and now rest in what he said? Not just hear what other people have said. Not just hear what the preacher has taught you. But you've actually rested and have confidence in what he has actually said to you for yourself. See, I experienced this. I spent 30 hours a week for three straight months with the Lord in one season. And I'm three and a half weeks into praying and spending time with God. I spent 100 plus hours with God. And God had not said one thing to me. And you know, I was mad. I was throwing a tantrum before God. And you know, I'm bawling God out. I don't get it. Everybody else is hearing from you, but I'm not hearing from you. And, you know, so I'm throwing a tantrum before God. God didn't care about my tantrum. He wasn't moved by it. He didn't even speak to me in that moment. A few days later, all of a sudden, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit said to me is, Are you here to be with me? Or are you here to see what I can do for you? Now, when God asks you a question like that, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Right? 
the truth of the matter is, I was there to see what God could do for me. Even if it was for the right reasons, I still wanted him to do it for me. Maybe, you know, the only time I liked to pray before was because I had to preach or because, uh, you know, I had to win somebody to the Lord and I didn't want God to make me look bad or I didn't want to look bad and, you know, not have God have my back, I guess is a better way to say that. But, you know, I, I had to learn. You know, I, I, would actually, I would actually say this. I knew that God loved me before, but I actually don't think I knew if I, if I knew he liked me. And then this, it could sound like blasphemy, but it's true. I, I, I knew that I loved God because he saved me from my sins. But I don't know if I liked him. I mean, how would I know? I never really developed a relationship of intimacy with him where I really knew him like in terms of his character, who he was. I didn't know that he was joy. I knew it in my head because the Bible said that he was joy. But I didn't know him to be joy, meaning that he was fun. I didn't know that he actually really did like me and my personality and who I was, amen? And prayer was difficult and connecting with God was difficult. Why? Because that meant I had to learn how to like myself too because to sit there in the quiet and have to reconcile like who you are and and, and who you want to be and, and come to peace with yourself as well as with God sometimes is a very difficult thing to do. And sometimes we don't pray because we don't know how to connect and we can't slow down our minds and we're trying to figure out like, you know, how God speaks to us because he speaks to us all in different ways and we've got to learn that language for ourselves. And I remember I started praying the Bible even, and it kind of focused my mind. It gave me an on-ramp where now I can learn to quiet myself and come before the Lord. I'm just sharing some practicals with you as well, maybe to be a help if I can. But here, turn, turn with me in the next passage, uh, a scripture here. We're going to look at uh, uh, verse 6 in just a moment. But the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb, they heard from the Lord. And what the Bible says is they went to the promised land, but first they shared with all the people. They said, hey, hey, God told us the promised land is already ours. And so I'm paraphrasing here. You'll have to go back and read it for yourself. But Josh, Joshua and Caleb share this with all, all of Israel. And so what they decide is they go, well, maybe you heard from God. Maybe you didn't. So what we should do is we should appoint some people to go with you and go check this thing out, spy out the land, and see, you know, for ourselves whether God is really saying this. So they appoint 10 spies. And the ten spies and Joshua and Caleb, they go to the promised land. They go to the border of the promised land. And they look in. It's kind of like this. They kind of look in. And it's kind of like the spies decide. They go, wow, it looks like somebody else is living in our house. God told us that this is our house. But somebody else thinks it's their house. And I think that if we were to try to move into our house, that these people, they would disagree that this is our house. And they would, they would um, give us a whooping and send us on our way. If not, even kill us. So the ten spies, Joshua and Caleb, they go back to Israel. And it's kind of like the ten spies, uh, they give a report that's kind of like this. Well, I think that Joshua and Caleb, they might have eaten some bad pizza. Because it doesn't really seem like they actually are hearing from God. Because we analyzed the circumstances for ourselves. And we looked into the promised land. And it looked like it was not ours. It looked like it was someone else's. And so what Joshua and Caleb is saying cannot be God. We've determined by our own ability to think about this and for what we've seen for ourselves that this could not be God. Well, that sounds like the church a lot today. You know, 
we want to vote on what God says. <laughs> Rather than just take it to the Lord and find out whether this is really what God is saying for ourselves. We want to determine based on our own flesh. This is what the Bible says that we repented of. That we were no longer living by our own formulas and our own ways of figuring out things. But we turn to this life of faith. Here's verse 6. Look what it says here. This is a powerful verse. It says this. Seeing then that the promise remains over from the past times for some to enter that rest. And that those who formerly were given the good news about it and the opportunity failed to appropriate it and did not enter because of disobedience. I would submit to you that many people in the church would focus on this part of the verse that says because of disobedience. But I'd like to, I'd like to kind of move to the phrase right before that. And it says, it says they were given this opportunity, but they failed to appropriate it. Do you know what that means in simple terms? It means that they failed to make the revelation that Joshua and Caleb were given to by God their own revelation. They failed to own it and to make it their own. They couldn't be obedient because they could not see from the place of his reality, they could only see from the place of their own reality. And what God wanted them to do was to take the revelation that Joshua and Caleb proclaimed, and he wanted them to take it to relationship with him where they could find out from him directly whether this was him or not. This is how we do church. You know, I, I know Pastor John, and he has a great heart, and I know that he wants every one of you in this place to get it and experience it for yourself, and every great leader of God does. And so we can be up here as teachers, and we can be up here as, as men or women of God that get revelation from God and proclaim it, but the only way that it really benefits you is if you get it for yourself. There's no shortcuts. I'm sorry, there's no shortcuts. And the reason why there's no shortcuts is because God does not want to forfeit relationship with you. He absolutely, more than anything else, desires to be connected to you. Because if you just get an assignment and you just run off, oftentimes you'll quit being relational with God because you'll just get task-oriented. Maybe some of you aren't that way. I'm that way. It's real easy to just get the, get the assignment and go and run and go do it and then forget all about until all of a sudden now you need God again. And then you go back. God wants to keep you connected. He wants to keep you walking in this place of revelation and connecting to his words. Amen? And verse 7, it says this. Look, I mean, sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't know if God, like, speaks anymore. He says this. He says, today, if you would hear his voice. Say that with me. Today, if you would hear his voice, not tomorrow, someday. And it says, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. What's that mean? Don't think you know better. Don't think you know better than what he's saying. Amen. Verse 11 and 12, and we'll be done here. It says, let us therefore be zealous in verse 11. Exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter the rest of God. Now that verse messes me up. Because if you have my personality, that means try harder. <laughs> try harder to rest. 
You know, when I was younger, I played basketball, football, played all these sports, and it felt like if I tried harder, I could get more done. I could be more effective. And then I played golf. And I found out that the harder I tried, the worse it got. I suck at golf, I'll tell you that, all right? I'm not trying to be humble either, amen? But the same thing's true in relationship with God. If you try harder. See, this, this verse isn't saying try harder. What it really says in the original language is that you ought to make God your priority first. That ought to become your priority, not more effort. It's more about surrender, and it's more about letting go than it is about your effort, Amen? And then verse 12, um, well, let me, I'll finish reading this. It says, uh, to enter the rest of God, to know and experience it for yourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief or disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. What's the Bible saying? Like, they didn't hear from God for themselves. And the Bible says that they basically went on a three-hour tour and ended up on Gilligan's Island. Amen. And they were there forever. No, I'm just, I'm, but it says a three and a half day journey took 40 years. And then they didn't make it into the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb made it in. Only the two that actually heard from God for themselves made it into the promised land. Does that mean you're not saved and you're not going to heaven? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about how do you experience heaven on earth? How do you experience his promises in your life today? Not just waiting to go to heaven someday, but having heaven manifesting through you today to experience the promises that he actually has already given to you. And hear what it says. I mean, I I ask people this sometimes. I mean, do you have an extra 40 years? Most people would say no, right? Some people say, well, I can't pray. I I can't connect with God. You can't afford not to. You've got to hear his voice for yourself. You've got to figure out how to connect. And sometimes it means just waiting until you figure out how to do it and only the Holy Spirit can show you. Sometimes it means coming to the end of yourself so that you can actually give up on you and actually trust in him. Amen? And sometimes that, there's no recipe, there's no formula about how to get there. Everybody has their own journey and everybody has their own heart and everybody has their own things that God has to get out of the way so that they can begin to see what it is that he's saying and, and do what it is that he's doing. <clears throat> but in verse 12 it says this, for the word of God that speaks is alive. It's full of power. Making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of the life of the soul and the immortal spirit and joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Most of you just know this verse in a simpler form. I'm preaching out of the Amplified, which is just simply more of the language being revealed to you. But like literally it says, for the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between spirit and truth and bones and marrow. And like what this verse is saying is the word of God. The word that God speaks. The words that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speak to you directly is sharper than a two-edged sword. And that, 
Those words have the power to cut right down the middle between everything that is of God and everything that's not of God. It has the power to bring alignment in your life. And God's words has the power to cause every accusation, every word that's not of God, every circumstance, every situation that would try to oppose you, every person that the enemy would use to do that somehow would be cut off. And cut out of your life. And now every word that was from God himself would be the thing that would remain and take over in your life. And literally that alignment has the power to cause your life to be farther ahead than if everything in your life had gone the way that you thought it was supposed to go. One word from God and everything could change. Doesn't matter how long there's been resistance, his word is like a hammer. His word is like a hammer that crushes into pieces the rock of the most stubborn resistance in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. We give you praise, we give you glory. There's none like you. Lord, I pray that your spirit, Lord God, would so touch us just right where we are, Lord God. <laughs> if this is not about a man, this is about you. This is not just about a ministry. This is about you. This is about you and your relationship with each and every single one of us. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to do what we cannot do for ourselves. You would help us to come into a place, Lord God, where we would hear you more clearly than ever before. Lord God, we recognize, Lord God, that many people speak about this being 2020, Lord God. But we recognize also, Lord God, that things did not switch because the clock turned 1201. For those, Lord God, that are actually in relationship with you, you're expanding, Lord God. You're accelerating, Lord God. You're resetting, Lord God. You're helping us to see more so that we can do more than we've ever done before. But Lord God, if we're not hearing from you, Lord God, there's no more clarity. So we ask, Lord God, that you would cause us, Lord God, to move into that place. For those of us that are hearing, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that you would do more. For those of us that are not, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that you would bring us into that place, Lord God, that we would be able to be sensitive to what it is that you're doing, that your promises could be experienced, Lord God, for each and every single one of us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be somebody in here you say, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm right with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never heard a message like this before. Maybe you've heard about religion, but you actually have not known that God actually wants to connect to you, speak to you, and has made you brand new. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor, I want to know this Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that I'm right with you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I told you that that word truth, it actually means reality. God wants to give you a brand new reality. He himself is a new reality. It's not just a concept. It's not just a religion. It's a God that is alive and wants to connect with you. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Meaning there is not one of us that, are, that is perfect already. I'm not perfect. Your pastor's not perfect. I know he's close to being perfect. But Jesus is the only one that is perfect. The Bible says you've been perfected in him. But he's the one that makes you perfect. He's not looking for people that are perfect. He's not looking for perfectionism. 
He's looking for people that have perfect hearts. Hearts that would be totally yielded to him. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to make sure I'm right with Jesus this morning. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand right where you are and say yes to Jesus. You just say, yes, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me. I want to make sure that I'm right with Jesus. I see that one hand right there, sir. I see another one right there, ma'am. I see another one right here, sir. Anybody else this morning? You just want to make sure that you're right with Jesus before you leave this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you lifted your hand, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to come to the front right here and meet one of our prayer partners this morning. Sir, would you come in the front row? Ma'am, would you come? Sir, in the back, would you come right here and just come to the front? I want to shake your hand. I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. Come up to the front. What? Lifted your hand there, sir. Right here, sir. There was one more man right there. Thank you. This lady's coming out. I know they're trying to get out of their chairs and stuff as well and stuff like that. Thank you, Jesus. Would you, the prayer partners, would you just come to the center here and meet them? Congratulate them. Congratulate them with a shake of a hand. Welcome them. Go to them. Go to them. Prayer partners, go to them. Shake their hand just like you like them and love them. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Go to them. Shake their hand. Congratulate them. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The rest of you, would you stand with me all over this place and extend your hands toward those that have come? And we're going to pray a prayer of salvation. Just look at me if you're receiving Jesus right now. Just look at me. And we're going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray over you and I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for those that have come to receive you as Lord and Savior, Lord. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would bless them and that you would remove every obstacle from their lives, Lord God, and make them brand new in the name of Jesus. So now I'm going to ask you if you would pray and you would repeat these words after me. Jesus, I ask you right now, to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sins. Today I've decided to die. And Lord God, I ask you to resurrect me to newness of life. Lord God Almighty, help me to do what I could not do for myself. Today is a brand new day. Things will never be the same. Help me, Holy Spirit, to live for you and to do all that you've empowered me to do. Give me a new mind. Give me a new heart. Thank you for your forgiveness. And help me to forgive myself. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord God Almighty, we give you praise. We give you glory. Give them a big hand for their courage and their boldness for coming in the name of Jesus. Now lift up your hands just for a moment. Thank you, Lord.